following program is brought to you by your friends at Podcast One. Everywhere I go, I see our images. Um, but what, what started to surprise me was, was video. Looking at the credits in movies and seeing the word Shutterstock um, uh, in, in the trailing credits of movies. That that was really surprising me. That started about four to five years ago when our video products started to really uh, gain some traction. And today we're in a lot of major uh, motion pictures. Welcome to the Forbes interview. I'm your host, Steve Bertoni. On this show, I'll do in-depth interviews with billionaires, entrepreneurs, and influencers. Today we have John Oranger, the founder and CEO of Shutterstock, who basically turned a small side project into a multi-billion dollar publicly traded media empire. John, welcome to the show. Thanks. Thanks for having me. So let's start off. Um, I know Shutterstock well because we've done a lot of work together, but for everyone out there, give me a quick description of what you guys do and just the sheer size of it as well. So Shutterstock, we're a two-sided marketplace where businesses of all sizes can purchase creative assets from images to music to video Um these creative assets that they would use to drive their business every day, we supply to them. On the other side of the marketplace, we have contributors. It's a pretty open marketplace for most of our assets where anybody can uh, shoot images, shoot video, upload that content, and we do our best to try to sell it every day. Um, when I started the company back in 2003, I started with, with my 30,000 images that were actually pretty horrible and are still on the website today. Mm-hmm. Uh, we evolved to better photography uh, as more and more customers came in and, and, and asked for, for, for better content. Over time, we evolved the marketplace uh, to the different assets I mentioned, and today it's pretty active. We'll do close to We'll do about $535 million of revenue this year. We have about 1.8 million customers. Wow. We have hundreds of thousands of contributors, and we sell five images every single second. That's incredible. So how many images about, I know it changes all the time, but would you say you have on the platform right now? How big is your inventory? Today it's about 160 million images, 8 million videos, um, hundreds of thousands of audio clips, and... Uh, we get about 2,000 images contributed to us every single week, and we edit them down to about a million every week we add to the platform. But I think that's all just scratching the surface. Mm-hmm. The future is a lot bigger than that. It's amazing. You went from 30,000 of your own to, you said, 160 million images right now? Yes. Do you still get a little paycheck every um, every month from your the, your original uh, stock photos? My images don't sell that well anymore. <laughs> I haven't um, kept up with, with the times. I mean, the... The the uh, my images look old, right? From two thousand three, if you can yeah. imagine the cell phones people used, and I mean, they they don't sell well anymore. And the fashion, like the white lapel suits and all that, yeah, stuff. It looks weird. What was what was your first photo? Do you remember that you uploaded? Um, yes, I had. I, I basically went on to Craigslist uh, at the time. I remember looking for uh, uh, just like a small business shoot I was going to do. People using a computer, doing e commerce transactions, um, holding credit cards, and typing in. Um, their, their their address and credit card details to purchase something. Those kind of interactions, people needed those images to um, illustrate different things on their website. And mm-hmm. at the time, it was very hard to find simple images like a person with a headset on answering the phone, looking friendly, waiting for you to call the 800 number. Mm-hmm. I love it because let's go through your origin story here because you're a serial entrepreneur. You've always been into computers. And I wouldn't call Shutterstock accidental, but it was 
um, it just really evolved out of another project you were doing. Take me through that because I, I love that story. Yeah, I was a software developer, uh, and I was in – I started when I was in college. I went to Stony Brook in 1992, and I started uh, programming .NET applications because Windows was the dominant platform at the time. And uh, I would look for little annoyances people would have, mm. and I would program tools to prevent those annoyances from happening. So and ninety two was, was sorry, ninety two was basically before the the mainstream web, right? Yeah, well, it was it was uh, it was shareware software. Yeah, um, yeah, and it was it was hard to find. The web was not an easy place to to navigate. There were a few people on it, um, and there were enough people with credit cards by nineteen ninety four ninety five to make this thing kind of work. Um, so I sold privacy protection software. I sold pop-up blockers. I sold personal firewalls. Yeah, stuff school. like that. Yeah. You take them back to college here, and so you programmed those all, and that was a real business, right? Yeah, yeah, hundreds of thousands of dollars in, in revenue one year, close to to a million for those tools. And how much you're you're in college doing this? Was it a sort of thing that you kind of jam on the software, then it kind of you just make money passively, or was it always like a nonstop kind of? It was nonstop. It was not, even back then there were, there was competition. There yeah. were other people that developed the same type of tools. So I had I had the same e-commerce challenges back then that I had that I have today. We have with that we have with Shutterstock. What happens um, is you need uh, content that gets in front of people and explains why they need to buy the thing you're selling. Mm-hmm. Um, that's what Shutterstock is for today. And back then I was shooting images myself uh, to make that make that happen and to compete with other people that were trying to do the same thing. That's right. So you needed to find stock images to send out on your mailers and your email, and you started taking the photos yourself, and there, the seed of Shutterstock was born. Yeah, yeah. So I was taking these photos, I was using them myself, and I started to think, okay, I have this whole collection now, and I want to take these images and, and, and put them on a website, and maybe they can help somebody else. So I literally put them on a website and said, you can download whatever you want. They're all commercially released. I have the model releases. Mm-hmm. Um, they're all buttoned up from a legal perspective, so you don't have to worry. Um, and you can pay $10 a month, and every time I shoot something else, I'm going to add it to the website. And the collection would grow little by little, maybe 30 or 40 images a month. Mm-hmm. It was not enough. So it was like a Spotify for images, if you will, kind of like streaming service. You pay a subscription. You can What's mine is yours. Kind that's of. right. That's right. And at the time, there were other image banks. Uh, they sold by the image. Uh, subscription was... Uh, kind of not a, a very popular thing associated with this business model, but I knew that I needed this constant flow of images to sell these products. Mm-hmm. I knew I needed them to be fresh and changing constantly. I knew when I emailed someone tomorrow that I emailed two weeks ago, that image has to be different. So I needed constant flow, and, and the subscription made sense to me as a customer. So mm-hmm. that's what I built for everybody else. And take me through this. So you, you went from image bank to now Shutterstock. How many employees do you have right now? Close to a thousand. Close to a thousand. Take me a little bit through that, that kind of that crazy growth from I guess you in your in in your apartment to suddenly when did you start to make Shutterstock like okay this is a business I'm going to hire people and then kind of you know take me through that 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 ladder. It it flipped when people started. There were so many subscribers, and I couldn't feed the content uh, flow and support the demand myself. So I started to go out and look for other photographers. And so I basically hired someone to, this was the first employee, to go Mm -hmm. out and look for people that had images just sitting on a hard drive somewhere that they wanted to sell. That quickly evolved into a productized version of a drag and drop kind of right from your desktop, upload model release, Mm -hmm. include metadata system that today 
we use uh, and has evolved. Um, that was when I started to need a lot more support because what was happening, and I didn't realize that at the moment, but I can look back now, and it's what we do every day, was I was building a network effect. Yeah. Two-sided marketplace, just like the other two-sided marketplaces um, you know of out there like eBay and others, where as you start to build both sides of the marketplace, the entire thing gets stronger and stronger. I needed more code. I needed more servers. I needed more um, editing capabilities. I needed more QA people, and it just kind of rolled from there. And that is, that was around 2004, and that's how we got from one to a thousand. What was the kind of? They always say there's different kind of steps, like you know, levels of of difficulty when ma- managing a corporation. Um, I think it's going from like one to you know better than I do. But what was the hardest change for you in terms of? Was it you look up one day and you have fifty people? Was it you had a hundred? Is or is it now with a thousand? It's hard at every step. Um, headed from, I, I, I mean, I remember going from one to fifty. It was difficult, but at the same time. I could kind of run around and be in all of the details. So from 1 to 50, difficult, but I had no idea where, where I was yeah. coming from there. Um, get to 100, 200, where you can't know everybody's name, and you start to have attrition, uh, just natural attrition. People come and go, uh, yeah. and you're hiring people, and you're kind of fulfilling this, uh, this, this, this pipeline constantly of, of people coming in and people going. That's where it starts to get crazy. Um, that's where you need managers that... Um, that, that, that understand how to teach the next person what the person leaving did. And that's how you, the organization starts to build from there. Mm-hmm. That was the hardest transition. Um, from there, it's just been different levels of that, uh, from 200 to, to 500 and then to 1,000. Um, it doesn't get any easier. Yeah. But. And, and you're interesting too because how do you, you – know, you're a CEO of a publicly traded company. You have 1,000 employees. And you're an entrepreneur, so you've never had a manager. You've never had a boss yourself. Um, what do you have any secrets or tips for people who kind of go from you know working on their own and you know always being entrepreneurial to suddenly having to manage a whole army of, of people across the globe? Yeah, the, the trick is to bring people uh, on and surround yourself with people that have done it before, uh, and and that's what that's what we've done. Yeah, um, and. I think, though, it's also I have a unique perspective, and I think it's a little bit of an advantage that I don't have any baggage. I can literally look at everything as a clean slate. The only baggage I have is is is, is what I've been through yeah. um, in my own company. Um, so I'm always questioning why can't we do better? Why can't we be more efficient? Um, why can't we move faster? Uh, and I think uh, sometimes in companies where you know, maybe multiple CEOs have been through that 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 company. You kind of lose some of that mm-hmm. uh, that drive. I try to keep that there every day. So that's a little different. Yeah, and from speaking about being different, early on, you guys committed a huge sin in the startup world, meaning that you were actually profitable from the first year, which is incredible. And because of that, you never you raised money very late, and you still you know you never had to deal with investors and, until later on. Um, was that by accident, or you always wanted to? Make sure you had a profit. Make sure you had cash flow. Or was it just the way the business worked? I think it was a it was a combination of a few different things. The reason why I started started these companies was because I didn't want to go get a job. I wanted to be self sufficient. I wanted to generate revenue myself. Um, and in order to, to do that and to not be working for somebody else, you need to be able to be profitable also. Mm-hmm. So I learned really early on 
um, because this thing started with my $10,000 in 2003 that I had to use every single dollar very effectively. And so from the beginning, the entire uh, uh, trick was to, to make sure that I can spend an amount of money that would bring in a return that then I could reinvest in the business and there'd be some left to pay rent yeah. also. And we'll be right back after this quick break. The Forbes Interview Podcast is brought to you by LifeLock. Is your personal information for sale on the dark web? Monitoring your credit can't show you, but LifeLock sees a wide range of threats to your identity. If something happens, U.S.-based specialists can work to fix it. Go to LifeLock.com, use promo code Forbes, and save 10%. And I know you, you're kind of you're very detail-oriented. I wouldn't call you a control freak, but you like to have your uh, both hands in the wheel. Um, what was it like deciding to go public and then kind of suddenly be at the whim of investors and um, analysts in the market itself? Was that an easy decision for you? Was it kind of a lot of hand-wringing? How did that work? There were, there were a few reasons why we decided to go public. We were building our enterprise business, mm-hmm. and we needed a bit more legitimacy to fight the uh, uh, some of the incumbents in the space. And in order to do that, um, we needed the world to see our balance sheet. And I think it worked. Yeah. Today, our enterprise business is is approaching 200 million of our 550 million, 535 million this year. Um, and I think that, that that's an important uh, a part of the business that feeds a lot of other pieces. We can talk about custom later, yeah. but mm-hmm. that's and, and that's an important part of that. Um, another reason was um, eventually I needed to take some liquidity out, and I didn't want to be in a world where I had staggered private equity investors that yeah. had timeframes of six to seven years because I was thinking about building a 20-year company. And um, while it's still possible to do that, um, I thought being public would give me the best of all worlds, especially since I owned enough of it to make that happen. And you, you mentioned before, you know, we were talking about how you went from just an SLR camera to now you guys are doing machine learning and AI and really high-tech stuff with you know this expanding world of images. And you also mentioned that you're just scratching the surface. So like, what are you excited about now? What is Shutterstock working on? Like, what that 20-year plan? Like, what is going to surprise everybody? Yeah. So today, the company is is six lines of business. We have our e-commerce image product, which I talked about before, that kind of started this entire thing. And that's media companies. That's marketers. That's anyone who needs an image, whether you're uh, online newspaper or if you're you know, sending out you know newsletters or just catalogs. It's every, everybody, everyone who needs an image. That's right. That's right. It's it's pretty much independent graphic designers up to the small business for mm-hmm. that one of six segments. I'll go through all six yeah. just so that I can kind of talk about where this thing goes from here. Then motion, which is video and audio, is another business line. Editorial, which is media, entertainment, mm-hmm. sports. Um, digital asset management, which allows users to um, to store all of their assets, and our new custom product. And the, the trick from here is to tie the workflow pieces together between all six of those business mm-hmm. lines so that headed into the future, we become the platform that businesses need uh, to drive their creative assets to, to, to a productive place. And so what's kind of that, when you say workflow, does that just mean the, or, like, the organization, your two-sided platform, you want to make it as easy as possible for people to sell images and people to buy images and, and videos and and music? It, it's more than that, right? Okay. So, so if you think of a buyer, a buyer uh, kind of starts their creative journey um, thinking about uh, some sort of creative asset that's going to drive a metric in their business. And that 
leads all the way to deploying that asset into the wild and measuring it. We want to be with that user all along the way. Mm-hmm. So right now, when, you, when you're hiring people and you're getting them excited about the company, what do you... Because you're, you know, you're, you're competing with all the other tech companies. What do you kind of do? I mean, there's obviously the monetary stuff, but how do you get people excited about the mission, about the goals, about the technology? Yeah, it's, it's, it's hard. It's harder than ever right now. Um, it's an incredibly competitive job market. Uh, but what we do is we explain the position we're in as a, as a business, yeah. which is very strong. Um, we've always been profitable, for instance. We have a lot of cash in the balance sheet. We don't have any debt. We're a publicly traded company. We can use our equity to make acquisitions. We can use our cash to make acquisitions. Um, I think Shutterstock has a great culture. We're very entrepreneurial. Um, we're always driving kind of at the cutting edge of tech, like yeah. you mentioned, with the AI and machine learning uh, teams that we have. Um, and we're always looking to, uh, uh, to, to our employees to kind of bring us amazing ideas that we build and drive to every day. What uh, kind of ideas have come up from the, from the, I guess, from, from the team? Yeah, the, the, the machine learning and AI stuff is pretty mm-hmm. interesting right now. Um, we collect a lot of data, hundreds of millions of searches, uh, actually billions of searches, uh, and, and a lot of different interactions on the website. We can use that information to help drive our customers to get to the, uh, the, the right image mm-hmm. for, for, for their project. Um, one of our, our recent tools that we've, we've shown to the world is our composition-aware search, where you can not only search for a specific object, but you can search for a specific object at a specific, in a specific place in an image. So if you want a person on the left, you can drag that keyword left and mm-hmm. see the search results change and wow. see the person, uh, see images that, re- that, that return with that person does on the, the image, left side. Do you actually, does the image get switched or just that you find an image that has those qualifications? It's a different image. Gotcha. It's a different image set. So if you need copy space on the right to add some sort of details about what you're selling mm-hmm. and you need the person on the left looking at that uh, a copy. You can execute searches like that. Before machine learning and, and AI, this was a very difficult problem to huh. solve. So I, I think we're just scratching the surface there as well. What is the most popular image ever downloaded on Shutterstock? It it constantly changes. We, I mean, we again we sell five per second. Yeah. Um, and and it's it's a pretty wide array. We sell the most popular images are backgrounds. Uh, and, and people are using those. They're kind of clipping out certain textures, and they may use them as as backgrounds on a website, on a on a product. I see. Um, but uh, it's it's surprisingly distributed. There's hmm. no one image that really just stands out. Have there been Shutterstock images in places you've kind of been surprised? Like are they, are, besides the web, are they on billboards? Are they on product boxes? Are they on like where where everywhere they I go, I see our images. Um, but what what started to surprise me was was video. Looking at the credits in movies and mm-hmm. seeing the word Shutterstock um, uh, in, in the trailing credits of movies, that that was really surprising me. That <laughs> started about four to five years ago when our video products started to really uh, gain some traction. Mm-hmm. And today we're in a lot of major uh, motion pictures. Wow, you can vote on the Oscars pretty soon, I'm sure. Maybe. <laughs> and we mentioned uh, you got a lot of press when, you, when Shutterstock became the first kind of billion-dollar New York City-based tech company. Um, how what have been the the good side of being outside the valley and kind of the bad side, if there is a bad side? Yeah, I mean, I think you can build a successful tech company anywhere on the planet these days. Uh, I think New York is a great place. I grew up here. Uh, I went to school here. I like being here. I'm going to continue to stay here. Yeah. Um, and New York has 
in the past 15 years built some other amazing uh, tech companies, a lot of which have, have, have grown up, a lot of which are public also. Um, I think uh, the skill set required uh, to do the things we do every day is, 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 has been, um, it's pretty clear that we need it, and it's pretty clear that in more places in the world, people are learning how to do it. Mm-hmm. So uh, we now have engineers everywhere. Uh, and, and I think it's it's a pretty amazing thing. Hmm. I want to talk about more about this kind of tech evolution because you said you know you were the first big tech company here, but a lot of kind of a lot of other industries have evolved here and just grown up. Is you're in the image space, and when you first started, this was the world of when digital digital cameras were new. When I'm sure uploading a photo took you know dial up and all you know hours and, and cost money. And now you've evolved in the last you know 15 years. It's gone from you know everyone has. A cell phone. Everyone has a camera. Um, at the same time, the cost of hosting all this data, whether it's Amazon Web Services or cloud stuff, has gone way down. Like, what has been the biggest macro change in tech that's affected you guys? For us, it's the um, it's how easy it is to take a photo today, and and how easy it's becoming to take video today. Also, um, there are more people on the planet today, dramatically more people that can take a professional photo. Um, with the device they have in their pocket Mm -hmm. all day, every day, which is a very different thing than what was going on in the early 2000s when the company started. Um, My first camera that I shot with was a digital SLR, digital Rebel, Canon. Mm -hmm. Um, And today, uh, uh, images that come from mobile phones are are just as good uh, sometimes as as the ones from their bigger counterparts. Mm -hmm. And that's only going to continue to, uh, to, to improve. There's always a reason to use a, a big professional camera. Um, and, and sometimes the longer lenses will give you a dramatic, uh, uh, depth of field. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, some things you can't reproduce digitally yet, but I think that, that, that the gap in time is closing and soon, um, all images will be taken with, mm-hmm. with cameras this small. And we'll be right back after this quick break. What happens if someone gets their hands on your social security number? An identity theft can commit all sorts of identity fraud with your personal information. They can open bank accounts, receive medical care in your name, file phony tax returns, and steal your refund, and even commit crimes in your name. Often, it's difficult to track down these crimes, and it can take years to clear up. One in four people have experienced identity theft, and if you're only monitoring your credit, your identity can still be stolen in ways you may not detect. LifeLock detects a wide range of identity threats. If they detect your information being used, they'll send you an alert. If there's a problem, U.S.-based restoration specialists will work to fix it. No one can prevent all identity theft or monitor all transactions at all businesses. Go to LifeLock.com or call 1-800-LIFELOCK. Use promo code FORBES, that's FORBES, for 10% off your LifeLock membership. Visit LifeLock.com and save 10% now. The Serial Killer Podcast, hosted by me, Thomas Weiberg Thune, is the podcast dedicated to serial killers. Who they were, what they did, and how. Join me as I sit down bi-weekly to bring you dear listener, into the dark land of serial murder and psychopathy. The show goes into graphic detail on the most infamous and lesser-known serial killers from around the world, with each episode covering one unique serial killer. So far, the show has covered serial killer superstars, such as BTK, 
Jeffrey Dahmer and the Yorkshire Ripper, and lesser-known killers such as Elias Abuelazan and Anatoly Onoprienko. Be advised, this show is not for children as it takes you deep into the twisted world of ultimate evil. You can find me exclusively at podcastone.com or on the new Podcast One app. Also, don't forget to rate and review on Apple Podcasts. When you're wearing the right outfit, it feels good. Like good hair day good. Phone charge to 100% good. Feel that way every single day when you work with a Trunk Club personal stylist. Meet your stylist at trunkclub.com. That's T-R-U-N-K-C-L-U-B.com. Do you stay um, up to date on because every time, whether it's Samsung or uh, or Apple come out with a, a new new camera, uh, sorry, a new phone. Well, they're basically cameras now. They, they always brag and they they want to. It's kind of a space race for like the best camera. Do you guys stay up on like the iPhone X and the Galaxies and all those sort of things? Yeah, I'm 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 interested in trying out the iPhone X next week. The thing with the Apple phones is they've the cameras on them have I think fallen behind a little bit recently compared mm-hmm. to some of the Android counterparts. So I'm hoping the the iPhone X closes that gap and, and catches up this time. You work a lot with with editorial and media and sports, and I'm just selfishly I'm in the, the business. Obviously, what are you seeing um, in the business? I mean, everyone's talking about the shift to video, the shift to mobile. I mean, so many people now read their stories on you know five inch screens. What, what what do you when you work with these the business side of editorial? What are they concerned about? What what do you see the trend moving? Yeah, we're seeing demand for this video increase, and we're looking to continue to to serve that demand. Um, I think I think typically the events you're talking about were shot by a few a few meaning hundreds um, of photographers. I think that starts to change over time, and I think as consumers are in unique spots that maybe a professional wouldn't be able to take a certain angle um, mm-hmm. because they're not they're typically in a different spot um, at that same event I think you're going to start to see um, different types of photography come out and and the trends continue to change um, I don't think it's too long before someone with a mobile device up in the um, uh, arena can, can take a picture that is equal to someone right next to some of the players. Wow, with those giant lenses and everything. Yeah. What is in you know ten years from now? What do you? How are we consuming media? Uh, it continues to evolve to mobile. It becomes shorter, uh, and it becomes uh, uh, more uh, when you when you want it. Mm-hmm. And you have a platform. And you, how many for to, how many people do you think on Shutterstock make their living off Shutterstock? Or in turn, or are people like if I take a if I take a great shot if I have to be in a you know a great shot at Central Park or something or saw an event can me as an amateur will I upload photos or are most people professional photographers and is that going to shift as these phones get better and get more widespread? It it takes a little bit of time to learn how to be a professional stock photographer, yeah. someone who's constantly shooting commercial content and selling it very well. We do have people on our site that are individuals where this is their full-time job. We also have entire agencies, businesses that have mm-hmm. formed on our platform uh, that have employees yeah. and that sell all of their images through us. But you've also done, I know you have uh, an editorial side now and you know you have a lot of photos of whether it's red carpets or events or sports or, or entertainment, like the, which could be done if you're in the right place at the right time. Are those all professionals or are there people, some people that happen to be you know, front row at the, uh, at the Cavs game, so to speak. Today they're professional and they're professional because 
the uh, you need the access, and that's always going to be the case. There's always going to be a set of professional photographers that cover these events and have certain access that other people do not. But at the same time, like I've said, mm-hmm. um, I think our mobile devices become more and more powerful to the point where they get closer and closer, no matter how far away you are. Mm-hmm. And you still shoot. I, I know you you shot the red carpet a few times recently, right? Yeah, yeah. I wanted to see what it was like to um, to be an editorial photographer, and uh, I do that a lot. Where'd you, through, where, uh, where have you gone? Through the company. Where have you, what, what events have you shot? I shot the Tribeca Film Festival. Mm-hmm. I sold some images from it. It's not going to become my full-time job anytime soon. <laughs> it, it was actually a very difficult uh, thing, and I, I got a good appreciation for the people that do it every day. What surprised you the most with going through that? Um, the number of, of, of people shooting, um, how competitive it is on the other side of that red carpet, mm-hmm. um, how difficult it is in a... In a, a with a sea of photographers um, to catch the attention of the celebrity that you're trying to shoot uh, because the shot really is only um, worth uh, a a bit if if that person, if that celebrity is looking right at you. Mm -hmm. Um, So there's a lot of uh, screaming and you kind of only get that option uh, for a split second. You Mm -hmm. have to take advantage of it. And is that, is that relationship based? Like if uh, you know, a certain a certain celebrity knows a photographer, whether they're friends or they've seen each other 20 times. Like, is that like, Hey, like do me a favor and, you know, give, give Oranger a look so you can uh, pay rent kind of thing. Yeah, it, it, it probably is. And that's probably why I wasn't able to, to get the, the <laughs> same level of, 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 of shot that uh, the pros did. And going from um, red carpet competition, to, I want to talk about business competition. I think there's a lot of, um, you know, older, companies like getty images that people are aware with like in this platform in this image game right now who do you see yourself going up against yeah so there there are a couple of competitors i think i think we we compete today with getty images we compete today with adobe um and i think over time uh we 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 hold our own against both of them Mm -hmm. we are continuously building new uh workflow tools uh, and as they come together, we're starting to learn that people want to um, evolve their workflow. They don't want to be in some of the, the typical workflows that our um, competitors have established mm-hmm. over the past 20 years. Um, so I think it gives us a, 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 a way to kind of look at what's going on with a clean slate and start to really develop uh, the tools and the workflow uh, uh, that our customers need today in a very modern way. I think that that's an advantage we have against them. Do, is there a lot of kind of matching of features? Like if if one company comes out with a certain thing, do everyone does everyone else try to provide that to stay competitive? Yeah, that does, um, and we try to stay on the cutting edge of that. Mm-hmm. And often we see our uh, what we develop uh, copied by our competitors pretty quickly. What is your kind of typical day? I'm, I'm always I love asking these questions, and you know, you, um, you know, you have a public company. Um, a lot of eyes watching and also, you know, a lot of employees. What do you kind of, what's your routine if you have one or is every day like totally wild? Yeah. So, so every day I do, I, I do a few things. Um, I try to sit in the intersection of product marketing and tech. Um, and I try to do that from two different altitudes. I try to do it from 50,000 feet. I try to do it from five feet and I try to alternate between, uh, in that, in, in that sphere. How does that work in practice? Continuously. It's it's a lot of quick conversations. It's a lot of jumping into meetings. It's a lot of uh, shifting really fast uh, throughout the day. Um, every day is completely different, and it's it's uh, 
you know, sometimes I'm reacting to, to, to certain types of information that's coming at me very fast. Other times I'm proactively trying to steer the ship just slightly uh, in a different direction. How do you kind of separate your life from this giant, your, this baby that's taken over your life? It's, it's difficult. Um, it's in my life 24 yeah. seven. I don't think there's any other way to do it. How do you kind of carve out time for like to get off email, to get out of meetings? Do you have any like productivity or just kind of relaxation, you know, tricks? Yeah. I started to, um, keep my phone out of the bedroom. I started to, um, I, I, I will not uh, sleep next to my phone. And I think that that's actually been a pretty positive, big change. Otherwise, you go to sleep re- replying to emails, and you wake up replying to emails. Or you wake up at like two in the morning, and then you oh, I might as well just check my, my yeah, it's phone. even yeah, worse. That's the worst, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, yeah, I, I've stopped doing that. So there, there's kind of that that zone at the um, where, where it's just devices are off, mm-hmm. um, and and maybe I can try expanding that a bit, uh, little by little, and, and try to really. Uh, carve out that time and you have some pretty cool hobbies you're a, a guitar freak yeah i um i i like to play guitar i'm yeah. uh, i'm not that great um but i i try to play every day is that kind of is that way to change kind of turn your brain yeah it's else? it's a way to kind of shift to 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 a different to, to get your brain to do something different yeah. um and and it's pretty effective because it's it's hard um and it 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 gets you uh thinking in a different way i have a really good guitar teacher that i i spend a lot of time with um, and I try to uh, uh, try to do that every day. I also collect vintage guitars. So. Mm-hmm. And kind of in your normal day, I, I, you must have so much coming at you. How do you say no to things? Yeah, it's it's hard. Um, it's a constant prioritization. It's in my head that prioritization mm-hmm. kind of schedule, and in, and it's constantly changing. Every day it's different. Sometimes I'm surprised, and I have to shift it around. And other days it's exactly what I thought it would be. I, I've always kind of kind of work that way. I work with just tons of details kind of coming at me and me picking out just the ones that I think may need adjustment or need to be dug into and let the other ones kind of pass right by. So in the next, this next year, you know, we're approaching 2018 fast. What do you, what's your priorities? Like, what are you excited about? What are you kind of going to, you know, I know you're all over the place, but what are you really going to focus in on? What's like the goals? 2018 is going to be a really great year. Uh, we've spent the past 18 months uh, evolving our platform. We've grown quite a bit in the past 15, almost 15 years um, on different platforms we've both, we've both built organically mm-hmm. and we've acquired our way into. So the past 18 months heading into 2018 was a way to bring all of those platforms together onto one platform. Uh, I'm sorry, bring all those business lines yep. together onto one single platform. And what that's going to enable us to do is save a lot of time. We can build something once and all six of our business lines uh, get access to that feature. Mm-hmm. And so that's been a big um, undertaking. Uh, and we're gonna, we've started to see a lot of that um, uh, we've started to see a lot of uh, a lot of that benefit in our e-commerce business and we're going to start to see it in our other businesses as they roll onto this new platform 2018 is going to be about working more of uh figuring out more of the workflow type Mm -hmm. needs that we've been talking about that our customers have pain points um around and and solving those uh for them i'm also really excited about our custom business and what tell me about that a little bit uh so this summer we acquired flash stock which um uh, we rebranded to Shutterstock Custom. And one of the big pain points of a lot of the brands that use our, our stock imagery is they couldn't get their brand into the stock photo. 
Um, and so I, over the past 10 years, we've, as a company, always known we were either going to build our way into this or purchase our way into it. Mm-hmm. And when we met uh, the Flashdoc team, uh, we realized that they had the product to do this. And what it, it enables brands uh, to, to essentially have their product in a photo um, and have it generated in a, in a way through a product uh, that um, is fast, effective, um, and a lot cheaper than it would be to have an entire shoot set up mm-hmm. uh, and, and, and executed on. So is that like having a group of like extremely smart and, and attractive people reading Forbes, like just studying Forbes magazine? Kind of that, that, that's the idea? Yeah. Uh, if you needed that exact image... Well, that, that's everywhere. You used to go outside to see people doing that. Yeah, stuff. yeah. People are doing that all day, <laughs> every day. Um, but let's say you wanted a professional photo yes, with those people yes. who signed a model release, mm-hmm. um, and you wanted the Forbes magazine to be at a certain angle. Uh, you wanted the name to be kind of front and center uh, in that magazine. Uh, in, I mean, in that shot, you want that magazine in that shot. What you would do is you would fill out this brief. Um, it would go out to the marketplace, and and people would fulfill that, that brief in a way where you get that shot back, and it cost hundreds mm-hmm. of dollars instead of the tens of thousands to actually get the lighting equipment, the professional photographer wow, okay. and, and all of those different pieces. So it's literally custom. So you want this many people, you want this color clothing, you want this setting, this product and people go out and do it. Yep. Productized custom photography. Now does, do you, I put the offer out there and do I get 10 people shooting it and I pick the best or do you kind of sign a contract before any shot is made? How does that work? It's a, uh, it, it's a subscription service, so typically brands need a lot of different images for mm-hmm. their social feed, for their uh, website, for, for you know maybe video, uh, for their Snapchat channel, um, and, and you kind of uh, pick the t- number of assets you want per month and the type of um, shots you're going to be looking for, where they're going to be, and we put together a plan. You kind of get this constant feed of custom imagery. But is there like comp- or people competing for that business if you want if i was going to shoot the if i wanted to do the fourth business and i put the, i put that request out there they send it to the marketplace and everyone kind of and you choose you choose the photos you want or be like oh i'm going to work with i'm going to work with john he's my guy and he's going to you know i'll subscribe to his photos how does how does that work yeah in a way so we we try to apply our expertise um in 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 we know photographers we know what they're good at yeah. we know the locations they're in we know the previous shots that they've provided to other brands, and we try to match you uh, to the right photographer. There is a way that um, you can have say in that, mm-hmm. uh, and that's included in the brief. Is there a certain kind of market that really wants these custom f- photos? Is it, I assume is it consumer products is a huge yeah. Huge consumer trip? products are huge. Two, two big brands that use Shutterstock Custom today are Patron and Chipotle. Mm-hmm. Um, if you think about those brands, they need their products. Um, in different places around the world constantly. So the subscription works for them. That's good. And tequila and burritos go well together. Yes, so there's I like, like a really good partnership there. Um, and just, uh, this is great for the time, John. I appreciate it. I, I want to just talk really fast about, um, you know, being a, a publicly traded company. We, we were joking before that you were just on uh, Jim Cramer's Mad Money um, talking about, you know, the stock and talking about the company. How much of the public market's like occupies your time. Obviously, you want to you know build a great company, but are you glued to the stock price? You just kind of just let it let it roll and you know shrug it off because you know like everything, these tech stocks are volatile and there's lots of ups and downs. Yeah, it's very volatile. Um, look, there's no ignoring it. It's there every day, and and I'm not going to pretend that um, I, I don't watch it. We all do, mm-hmm. um, but at the same time, every investment we make and every move we make is for a multi-year return. Uh, we build 
things for one, three, five, ten years sometimes. Uh, and, and we think about what our customers need. We invest in those products and services, and sometimes the return doesn't come back. Mm-hmm. Um, and if the return doesn't come back right away and, and our stock goes down because of it, we have to be okay with that because in the future there's going to be upside that's going to greatly outweigh that, that, that temporary dip. Hmm. Um, and that's just how it works. Are you like Warren Buffett? Do you choose what you have for breakfast based on the, the, the stock price, the closing price of Shutterstock like he does with Berkshire? I, I, don't, I thought he had the same breakfast every day. No, no. He goes to McDonald's every day. Oh. But depending on where Berkshire does that, depends on what the market's at. Depends on if he's going to splurge for like the sausage McMuffin or uh, just get the normal McMuffin. Interesting. Well, maybe I'll try that because he's been pretty successful. Of course. But you're, I think you're a vegetarian. So I am like, vegetarian. So it would have to be a different, different fast food different, restaurant. Different cereals. Maybe Taco Bell will work. That could work. Well, that was a great show. I want to thank John Oranger, CEO and founder of Shutterstock. Thanks for coming on today. Thank you. That's it for this episode of the Forbes interview. I'm Steve Bertoni. Thanks for listening. If you want to get in touch with a question or comment, please reach us at interview at podcastone.com. Hey, everybody. It's Heather Dubrow. Come join me for Heather Dubrow's World exclusively on Podcast One. We have so many fun conversations and great guests. Recently, Corinne Olympios for The Bachelor was here. Suzanne Summers, Matt Eisman, Tamara Judge, my buddy, was here. All kinds of really fun. Randy Jackson, Kellen Lutz. I didn't let him bite me. Join me every Friday on PodcastOne.com, the new Podcast One app, and subscribe to Apple Podcasts. When you're wearing the right outfit, it feels good. Like hitting all green lights good. Finding an onion ring in your french fries good. Getting dressed can feel just like that when you have a Trunk Club stylist. Because not only do we send you lots of outfits and accessories, we also teach you how to style them. And since we're a Nordstrom company, you know you'll be well taken care of. Look and feel great every single day with Trunk Club. Meet your personal stylist at trunkclub.com. That's T-R-U-N-K-C-L-U-B.com. At the border, I'm Ed Donahue with an AP News Minute. At the roundtable discussion today in San Antonio, Texas, President Trump heard something he said he never heard before about life along the border. Many people are dying, and the danger of living here, unless you know exactly what you're doing, is tremendous. This is Texas Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick. Where are the people in Washington to stand up for these children, these women, these senior citizens? Where are they? Bring them down. Mr. President, let the Democrats come down to Brooks County. Let them come to any of these ranches. Let them see these bodies. Let them see the skeletons. We have the photographs. Attorney General William Barr says he thinks spying did occur on Donald Trump's presidential campaign, suggesting the origins of the Russia investigation may have been mishandled. Scientists released the first image ever made of a black hole, revealing a fiery ring of gravity-twisted light swirling around the edge of the abyss. One scientist said science fiction has become science fact. I'm Ed Donahue.